Saturday evening, dark time in America, dark time in the world. And what better music for these dark times than to further discuss the music of Black Sabbath and everything that surrounds Black Sabbath. Because when you speak of Black Sabbath, you're not only talking about Black Sabbath, you're also talking about many other artists and bands that were surrounding them, begat them, and followed them in the genre of metal itself, the foundation, the building blocks. This is Steve from Pod Like a Hole. And Garth Marenghi from Dark Place. (laughs) He's here too. And let me tell you, most writers tell you that they only stick to subtext, not text, and they're cowards. But (laughs) this is Pod Like a Hole, where we talk about music, and we recently discussed the album Heaven and Hell, which was the first Black Sabbath album with Ronnie James Dio and vocals. Tonight we're going to talk about just a, a, a bit broader area around Black Sabbath. And tonight joining me as always is Mark, who just introduced himself speaking about Mr. Meringi's Dark Place. Mark, how are you? I'm doing great, Stephen. It's, uh, it's a good thing that you've taken the wheel tonight. I'm behind the wheel. And I wouldn't have it any other way for Black Sabbath. And uh, another guy who I wouldn't trust driving, sober or not sober, drives like a grandma. Eric, are you on? Excuse me. Yes. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. That was uncalled for, but thanks for for having me. As Eric starts pulling off one of his white gloves. <laughs> I'll drive. I'll drive while I record. I'll drive right now. Come on. <laughs> yeah, he's got he's got something to prove. Much uh, much like uh, you know some of the people we'll talk about tonight. They had they had things to prove. Especially one five foot four singer, who if he didn't pass away, would turn eighty tomorrow. Mister Ronnie James Dio. But before RJD. we RJD, but before we get to that, I, I'd like to note that uh, we didn't plan this, but we're actually without without attempting it, we're we're firmly in the zeitgeist right now with what we're talking about, which means by the time I release this episode, we'll be completely out of the zeitgeist. So whatever. <laughs> but uh, I, I I did find it amusing that the second half of Stranger Things dropped. It gave us, it, our listeners, a, a, a chance to time travel back in time. Exactly. Go back yeah. in time to Stranger Things. Uh, just, you know, put your Kate Bush headset on and travel <laughs> through someone's mind. But uh, that, that whole, that, you know, there's a, there's a few things that are in the, in the news, in your blog news, not the real news, about the Stranger Things and the character of Eddie Munson. Spoilers. 
Eddie Munson from Stranger Things, the metalhead who sacrificed himself. He did not run. And he also wore a awesome uh, sleeveless jean jacket with a full back patch of uh, Dio on it. And uh, that, that amused me. And uh, Mr. Vinny Apice, who was in Dio, he loved it as well. So apparently they, they actually got that from the Dio estate. Uh, that, was, that was wonderful. Stranger Things had a strong ending. And then speaking of metal, they, they stuck that Master of Puppets song on there. And everyone's talking about how now Master of Puppets is going to get the Kate Bush bump. And to that I say, that's good for them, but if any band doesn't need any bumps, it's them. It's, uh, they've, they've, got, they've got plenty of money. You hear about this, though? Like, apparently on the TikToks and the Twitters and the social media, uh, the True Blue Denim fans are uh, doing a whole little, well, you're only liking them because they're on that Stranger Things. And then Metallica had to come out and say, look, man, we welcome any fans, whether you're 48 hours old or 48 years old. We don't care. Well, that's what I expect of the internet. I'd be surprised yeah. if, the, if the internet wasn't that stupid. Right. You know? And yeah, no, I, I did hear about that to, uh, you know, the, the, the lightning round of our, our news section. Did you hear about this? I did hear about that. <laughs> Wait until Metallica finds out how many of those fans are burning, uh, burning that track from uh, YouTube to MP3. Uh, that's apps. right. <laughs> ripping that, ripping, ripping it from the internet. Give all their names to the cops. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, any anytime anytime someone that has a big bullhorn does shoot down any kind of gatekeeping, I salute it. For sure. For sure. I don't understand why you would want to like gatekeep a, a thing. You know, for example, my daughter, who is all of uh 10 years old, was wearing a Pink Floyd shirt today, and I thought to myself, if some knucklehead comes up to name three Pink Floyd songs, <laughs> like I would be like, all right, man. <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think he meant to do it. I don't think he meant to do it because he's a good guy. But my son's principal did do that uh, inadvertently to him <laughs> because his parents, who were cool parents, put him in a Bob Dylan shirt. And uh, I was walking him to class, and uh, his principal just said, "Hey, Towns, what's your favorite Bob Dylan song?" And, uh, and I said, "He doesn't have one, but his parents have a lot. Uh, National Skyline's <laughs> the best album." <laughs> and, uh, but he laughed. Yeah, I mean, what, 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 what? Uh, what six-year-olds ever sat through one Bob Dylan song? None. You gotta, you gotta train, you gotta train him to answer that question with Street Hustle. <laughs> I like his latter years where he really got into God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'll, that'll go over. I should train him to say that in this, uh, crypto Chris, Christo fascist, uh, hellscape we're living in. Um, those are the only Bob Dylan albums you can know. God.
deck slide. So uh, yeah, it's very, it's very Ross Perot style. Have you folks, <laughs> you, you see this chart right here? Yeah. <laughs> you, you people are hurting. You people are the ones hurting when you're not listening to Black Sabbath. <laughs> Eric and Marco, you people, what the fuck? Who says that? <laughs> oh man. Anyways, Black Sabbath were from Bur- they're from Birmingham. Yeah, they were not from Basilton, but Birmingham. And uh, they formed in 1968. Is Tony Isn't that where the Blinders were from? Birmingham? Is that where they were from? I think so. Yeah, well, you know, when you watch Peaky Blinders, especially in their fuse first seasons, where all the slow motion is of flames and people shoveling coal into the <laughs> into the shit and the smoke. That's what that's what created this band right here. Is that post-war industrial stuff? We've talked a little about that with your Judas Priests and uh, even your Depeche Mode, uh, even though they were from Basel. But that that whole post-war uh, industrial uh, Britain really really begat some some cool bands, and one of the heaviest uh, was Black Sabbath. Uh, they were in various other bands. The members, uh, they were like a band called Mythology, uh, uh, a band called uh, Earth, and eventually they just decided to get together and write their their own heavy music. And at the last minute, they uh, they changed their name to Black Sabbath. And the reason they did that was they were going to play a show, and they decided that the name they had at that time was Earth wasn't cutting it and so at the last minute they changed their name and a movie theater across the street from them was showing black sabbath starring boris karloff and uh, they said hell that's a great name for a band and so there you go and i think the synergy between band name and the sound of the band especially that early black sabbath was perfect wouldn't you guys say i mean the name black sabbath sounds like the band black sabbath yeah Absolutely. Yeah. This doom and gloom, uh, you know, the Sabbath being seen as a religious sort of uh, a day, Sunday, the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And here we have the absolute antithesis of just that sound. Just it sounds like a rain cloud, like immediately from the very first track. Yeah. And even even the guy, the guys looked like a rain cloud. I mean, they yeah, it's probably, you know, when Ozzy Osbourne's probably the uh, most decent-looking guy in your band, which, I don't know, they weren't hideous or ugly or anything, but, you know, Ozzy just looked like a hippie that would uh, maybe wear some dark colors. But then, like, Tony Iannone and Geezer Butler in the 70s looked exactly the same to me. <laughs> they, they both had, like, they, they both had, like, Frank Zappa mustaches and really long black hair parted down the middle. <laughs> And Bill Ward kind of looked like that too. Fluffy black hair. Yeah, exactly. And then Bill Ward kind of looked the same, you know, just his mustache came and went in the 70s. It was (laughs) was almost like they were some kind of like dark universe doo-wop band where those three all looked the same and then Ozzy was the guy up in front. (laughs) Yeah. Imagine walking into a coffee shop in in Birmingham and, and, and those three guys are sitting at a table and just all look up at you at the same time. (laughs) You'd say blimey
some of the players that surrounded Black Sabbath, they they joined each other's bands, they dated each other's wives. It's uh, all it's, it's incestuous and it lasts for decades. Some of the guys that are in some of these bands at the start, I mean, they're they're joining White Snake in the late '80s. Later, it's uh it's funny, but it all starts with Mr. Anthony Frank Iommi. He has been the one constant in Black Sabbath. If you've listened to any loud heavy metal, he's probably influenced them. Uh, what makes Mr. Tony Iommi different? His dedication to the riff and the fact that uh, an accident caused him to play the way he does. I, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but uh, you know that uh, did you know that his, his, he's missing the, the front of two of his fingers, right? You heard about that? Yeah, it was like it's some mechanical industrial accident, right? Yeah, it's perfect. It's, it's it's exactly what should happen to help form this band. Is his last day at the at the sheet metal factory, and uh, I don't know, a piece of sheet metal or something, the Omen style, slipped off and cut the tips off two of his fingers, and so he replaced them with uh, little nubs, and that helped him I don't know, bend bend the chords differently. Uh, I don't know what it did uh, to make them sound the way they do but him having mutant fingers uh, definitely helped create the Black Sabbath sound and he is the father of the riff I mean uh, Eric I'll just jump in first and say yes absolutely I mean he is definitely I kind of think he's a little underrated I mean when people talk about their favorite guitar players I mean you always hear the pretty standard responses you've got uh, of course, Eric Clapton, Jimmy Page, um, Jimi Hendrix, you know, but you never really hear Tony Iommi in that in that equation. And I feel like he's just uh, he's he's the one that I feel like doesn't really get as much credit for what he actually uh, he created a genre for crying out loud. Yeah, you it's, know? Not, it's not only it's not only what he helped create, but. He also, I mean, he's a great songwriter. He is like an endless barrel of riffs. Yeah. Uh, but then also that's, that is why I really, like, you know, Mark, when you're like, yeah, interesting choice, Steve, heaven and hell. It's not what I think of when I think of Black Sabbath. And I was like, yeah, I know it's not, but it's uh, probably my favorite. But in addition to that, I love that on the, in that era, when they have a different uh, singer that helps them change it up a little bit, you get, Iomi well, is able to show his chops off more. Yeah. And, uh, He's, he's, he can do it all. He can he can noodle. He can he can get a whammy bar out if he wants to. He's good. Shape. I mean, in the Aussie years, it really seemed that they played a lot more loosely, you know. And then when Dio came along, it became like a different band where they played more compactly and not compressed, but they just were more like I don't know, like chugging, you know. Like I don't know, they were all unified, like as if it was, as if it was a train moving down the train tracks. More, whereas yes. Right, in unison. Whereas when you get the Aussie years, those first eight records, it's like this loose jam band sort of blues rock, but still has this really gloomy, dark edge to it. Um, it's a little more separated, I would say, in the Aussie years. Right? Yeah. No, the the, yeah. the, deal, the deal years are more driving. Driving. And then, yeah. And then, yeah, the, the Aussie years are more, they're a little looser. And uh, they let the notes ring out a little longer, which is what a lot of people, I mean, for God's sakes, that led to, you know, sludge or stone or metal, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It's part of the whole zone. You know, let those notes ring. Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah, speaking of Ozzy, John Michael Ozzy Osbourne, uh, arguably the most famous metal singer. Uh, not, you know, not for his talent, but just for his presence, his longevity, and the fact that he, you know, he's the guy who, if you were to stack up between his solo works and Black Sabbath, the guy sang dozens, hundreds of classic metal songs. And uh, he's just a good around, you know, fun time. You know, he started he started with Black Sabbath, and he was fired from Black Sabbath in, in 1979 for hitting the bottle too much, is what they say. And I always find it odd when bands like Black Sabbath, who were just all alcoholics and all drug abusers, kick a guy out. But, uh, you know, it, had to happen. it just had to happen. And uh, it didn't hurt him too much because he had a great career after that in his solo career. And we'll talk more about Ozzy through the night goes on. So we're not going to dwell on it right now. Of course, the uh, geezer Butler, Terrence, Terrence, Michael, Joseph geezer Butler. He was their bass player. He was also the primary lyricist. It's got a kind of a Depeche mode thing going on where he's the one writing all the, for the most part, Ozzy's lyrics. And, uh, since heaven and hell, I'm sorry, since black Sabbath broke up, He's been in other bands such as Heaven and Hell, uh, Geezer, which is G-Z-R. Uh, he joined Ozzy's band for a while. It was a bassist in something called Deadland Ritual, which I'm sure is great. Geezer Butler, as a bass player, Mark, I also think he's underrated, much like Mr. Iommi is. I, I really do. Yeah, I really do. He, he came up with some classic bass licks. I mean, and... Um, I, I honestly, I had no idea that he was the primary lyricist until I discovered this. I always thought that it was Ozzy doing the lyrics. And then it made me question, like, who's writing Ozzy's music? Who's writing Ozzy's lyrics? Uh, you know? every, Ozzy, I mean, he's mine as well. He's, we'll get into it a little bit, but I mean, he's, it's kind of a Britney Spears thing going on with a lot of his uh, or any studio artist, like a lot. It takes a village to put a Nazi Osborne album together. I'll, it I'll really, that. that's what made me kind of like step back and be like, Hmm, are you just like the anchorman news? And everyone's like, you know, feeding you the lines because you're living off your black Sabbath, uh, sort of cred. I wouldn't give it. I wouldn't go that far. I, because he, he makes up for it with his presence and his uniqueness. And I think his just passion and, uh, his general, like, I always get the feeling Ozzy is, you know, when he says he's one of the every, every rock and roll guy says, ah, we love you. But when Ozzy Osbourne says it, I'm like, I really think he does love his fans. Like the guy just gets a th- the thrill of it all. Yeah. He still gives a lot of himself, even if, yeah, he's a, uh, you know, Elvis didn't write his songs either. And I love Elvis. So. And, they, and if you go to the movies right now, there's a big, long <laughs> movie about him that everybody keeps seeing. I don't know if I want to see that one. Uh, I'll be honest. I'm not a Baz Luhrmann guy. No, so. not, you don't have to say I'll be honest. It's not like a deep yeah. dark secret. Get, yeah. Why? Because you don't you don't like being assaulted <laughs> loudly. I don't like being assaulted loudly. <laughs> Eric, Eric, how do you feel about Baz Luhrmann? It's, it's horrible. It's it's, it's just too much. It's too much for my senses. It's it's it's. Uh, Oh, what is it like uh, that Moulin Rouge? Like it starts with like John Leguizamo as a midget doing flips through the air as he flips all the way into the circus tent or something like it's crazy. Couldn't do it. I, I, it's, I, it's, yeah, it's I tapped out real yeah. early on that yeah. one. It's crazy. What I did. Well, we'll say about the Elvis movie is 
there's a clip that <laughs> friend of the show Tim Heidecker I assume posted um, of a uh, real of real Elvis when he's joking around on stage and he starts deep throating the microphone and it's just very weird it's a very weird Elvis clip and apparently that scene is in the movie too like <laughs> in this Baz Luhrmann movie they recreate that deep throating the microphone scene which is it's just very funny anyways as an as a, as a Elvis guy I mean I don't put him on all the time but I definitely went through my phases and I Every now and then, I'll, I'll go through an Elvis here and there. I'll, I'll check it out. I'll report back to you guys. I don't know how, you know, I don't get to go to the theater that often, though. Am I gonna, am I gonna burn a theater trip to fucking Elvis? I don't think so. I mean, uh, I even debate the new Thor's out. Maybe I'll go see it. But, but not Elvis. Not so. uh, Brand new Cadillac. Brand new Cadillac. That's right. Kia! Right in the eyes, man. <laughs> CB <laughs> Bill Ward Bill Bill Thomas Ward William Thomas Ward WTW was their drummer and uh he's a good drummer and Bill Ward's drumming I think is uh a strong part of the Black Sabbath sound uh, but you wouldn't sometimes like it doesn't jump out at you it's kind of like what he's not doing he can have a light touch when he needs to and then he can hit really hard he is kind of jazzy at times and kind of goes around what the rest of the band is lo- uh, doing, which uh, is a testament to their looseness that Mark was talking about. Bill Ward is good shit. He was their original drummer. And, uh, you know, every once in a while there's a reunion. He doesn't show up because he never likes what the contract says. And I good for him for standing up for his convictions. I don't know uh, if he's holding out for more money or if he doesn't like the way his name is written on the contract. But, you know, he never comes back for those reunions. Other people around Black Sabbath land. There's Ronald James Patavona. That is a man that's known as Ronnie James Dio or just Dio. He was the second Black Sabbath singer, and he also was an elf rainbow, his band Dio. And then when Black Sabbath called themselves Heaven and Hell. So Ryan James Dio, yeah, he was in a few bands. Elf, Rainbow, Black Sabbath, Dio, and Heaven and Hell. Hell of a vocalist, and some would say he's the the heart of metal. Vinny Apice. Vinny Apice was one of Dio's drummers. He also stepped in as a... One of Black Sabbath's drummers after Bill Ward left. Vinny Apice. Vinny Apice is brother of Carmen Apice from Vanilla Fudge. What's interesting about Vinny Apice is that some people say Vinny Apice and some people say Vinny Apice. But Carmen Apice and Vinny Apice both pronounce their names differently if you ask them. Fascinating stuff. Two brothers pronouncing their names differently. Talk about a Civil War situation. My hands are tied. That's right. <laughs> Some men you just can't reach. Vivian Campbell. <laughs> Vivian Campbell was an Irishman who was the guitar hero on the first two Dio albums. Then he became a member of Def Leppard. And he's been in Def Leppard for quite a while. He was also in Thin Lizzy and White Snake. 
Richie Blackmore. When we talk about Richie Blackmore tonight, we're talking about a guitarist and main songwriter from Deep Purple. And then he later started Rainbow. And then he later started his own (laughs) project called Blackmore's Night. I love that name. Randall William Rhodes. Randy Rhodes, another great guitar player. Very young man that was one of the main reasons that Ozzy's solo career hit the ground running. He was the lead guitar player. And he's on those first two records. They are bonafide classics. He also had like a a classic touch, a neoclassical touch, a lot of noodling. I'd say if Randy Rhodes didn't die, he would be remembered as much or spoken in the same tones as uh, Eddie Van Halen. Jake E. Lee was the guitar player that replaced Randy Rhodes in Ozzy Osbourne's band. Jake E. Lee didn't stick around long, and I I don't think he's as well-known as either Randy Rhodes or Zach Wilde, who followed Jake E. Lee. He was the guy in the middle. Zach Wilde was Ozzy's third guitar player, and Zach Wilde's been in and out of Ozzy's bands ever since. I find Zach Wilde interesting because he is kind of a merge of Tony Iommi and Randy Rhodes. He can do the sludge and he can do the hyper fast noodling. He also is a decent songwriter and has his own band, Black Label Society. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying when I think he's a a melding of Iommi and Randy Rhodes? Yeah, he brings a lot to some of that Aussie solo stuff. Um, Riffy, uh, he can do three solos in one song and they can each sound unique and engaging. I mean, I, I can't speak at it like a uh, academic, but he's yeah, he he definitely brings a lot. He carries a lot of the weight. Yeah, he's he's definitely he can he can go heavy, he can go fast, he can go loose, he can go tight. Um, over the years, he's grown a giant beard, and he definitely has become a kind of guy that calls everybody brother. And uh, his first band was called Pride and Glory, and they uh, they only released one album, then he ditched that name before he started Black Label Society. Probably a good good bet. I mean, they'd probably probably sell a lot of records, uh, you know, opening for Leonard Skinner. But uh, the name Pride and Glory, it would not have uh, longevity in this uh, super woke world we live in. Or, on the other hand, <laughs> it would find its audience. But yes. I mean, yeah, exactly. Uh, here's, now, yeah, Ted Nugent every week on his show. Have you guys heard the new Pride and Glory? Uh, Lee Kerslake and, and Bob Daisley, also two names. They were uh, a couple of guys that were from uh, uh, Uriah Heep. And uh, Bob Daisley also played in uh, Black Sabbath and Rainbow at times. Uh, Lee, Lee Kerslake was a drummer and Daisley was a bass player. And they are some of the reasons those first two Aussie albums are awesome as well. They are 
a lot of those songs were written by those two guys, Kerslake and Daisley. And I think that uh, they're unsung heroes. All together is just the other Sabbath singers, of which there's many. And you've got you got Ian Gillen, who used to be in Deep Purple, and he joined Black Sabbath. I believe he's on the Born Again album. And then you've got Glenn Hughes, who was also in Deep Purple. And you've got Tony Martin. And I think Tony Martin's the best of the other singers. Tony Martin's kind of a cross between uh, Ozzy and Dio, if you will. Maybe even has a touch of Robert Halford to him. And he's a lot of those uh, late 80s, early 90s Sabbath records. Not everybody likes those albums, but they have their place. We'll talk about them briefly. Those are the other singers. Ian Gillen, Glenn Hughes, and Tony Martin. You know, like when uh, Tony Iommi went into Black Sabbath Incorporated, uh, The Offices, was like, all right, <laughs> need, a, uh, need a new classified listing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my goodness. Yeah. So no, we could go, we could go on and on and on and on. It keeps going. My point, my point was, is it goes like the, the family tree that is around black Sabbath is just bizarre and keeps on going forever. And I think when you get to the point when you're talking about David Coverdale, who was in fucking white snake, it's uh, you're like, okay, we get it. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's them. That's that all started, you know, back with that first album that came out in 1970 and the, the dawn the dawn of Black Sabbath, the dawn of heavy metal. These first three records. You've got Black Sabbath that came out in got paranoid that came out in 1970 as well because these are back of the days when uh, bands would put together you know album after album boom bop bip like that there was no waiting five years for albums they uh they, they considered it a job to put these records out so you got black sabbath and paranoid both in 1970 and then master of reality in 1971 and these first three albums i mean the first six albums in general are just incredible consistency about these first three albums uh, definitely are the, the dawn of heavy metal that first record that opening track uh you know black sabbath title track black sabbath you hear this church bell ringing you hear the rain and you hear thunder and it it, it just it seems it's it's menacing and it's also heralding the sound of whole genre that's gonna just come to you i mean come on talk about uh, kicking the gate open with your mission statement fully intact i mean those early albums have moments where they're i'm not gonna say sloppy but like mark said earlier loose but they knew exactly what they were doing on this on this track and that riff is, is so if you didn't know what you were listening to it came on on shuffle and you hear that riff i mean you could think oh is this neurosis or some kind of newer sludgy band it's it transcends time because it all started there. It's that, that opening riff is just huge. Anyway. Yeah. That opening great, riff. Great I mean, opening. that, I mean, maybe that opening riff 
that down, down, down. And when he uh, when he made those false fingertips on his hands, and uh, he had to detune his strings a little bit, so uh, I was so he could bend the strings better. That made the sound heavier. And uh, a lot of other guys, they probably tried to figure out how do you sound so heavy? You know, well, you know, you can't. You're not going to chop your fingers off, but. It made a lot of other people think, wow, you could do that with a guitar. You could get that heavy. And it, it starts all with that first track. It's just like you said, like right out of the gate. It's uh, the, the whole the template for how heavy can you get? Like you said, neurosis, you could hear in that first song. You could time travel down to 1995 and listen to neurosis and you could just you could still draw a straight line 30 something years later. It's, it's incredible. Uh, first ra- the first record's uh it's an all-timer. Um I I'm a big fan of The Wizard in addition to the title track. That first record is an all-timer and it it surprises me that um you know these classic records they always seem to be made on the very cheap and the very fast, especially during that time frame, right? Oh yeah, this one was recorded I think in like a day, two days. It's it ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And, um, you know, the, the material that they had, they obviously just uh, came in with a really strong freshman record. And I, I just like the fact that they were able to really continue that momentum and go into the more classic record of Paranoid. But um, th- just the fact that those two records were recorded so closely together, it's amazing, like what they came out of the gate with. Yeah, they came out of the gate with that first record. But then, right, let's get into the Paranoid they, I guess they, I doubt they had these songs lying around. So they wrote them just seven months within seven months. The second album comes out and paranoid is as legitimate rock and roll classics on it or pigs, iron mad and the title track of paranoid. I mean, those are in many hit movies. They are, you know, all over the radio. They're some of the first, uh, black Sabbath songs we heard. I think I think Paranoid is a I don't know if I like it better than the title uh, the first album, but it's definitely a stronger record, uh, you know, uh, songwriting wise. And uh, you don't you know, a lot of these songs like the classic songs, I never get tired of hearing more picks. I never get tired of hearing Paranoid. I might get kind of tired of Iron Man, but not too much. It's a fun song. But in addition to that, you've got like Hand of Doom, Fairies Wear Boots and, uh, you know, Electric Funeral. I mean, my God, Electric Funeral alone. That's. That's my favorite song off there. It's one of my favorite Black Sabbath songs. Uh, the the outro to Electric Funeral is amazing. Uh, Eric, how do you feel about Paranoid? Oh, it's really good. And um, in these early albums, you see them go on quite an arc. And a little bit later, they kind of want to break. I guess they create their wall, their own walls in this world of heavy metal. And then as they go on, they kind of want to break out and do some more just just straight up rock and roll, which is fine. But they are loving that world of heavy metal on this particular record. And um, you can you can it's like they're the old expression. They're building the wings as they fly the airplane. It's it's uh, and you can hear it happen. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's fantastic. Uh, Hand of Doom really stands out to me. I mean, there's a lot of tracks on here I love, but Hand of Doom um, is just a jam. It's so good. That's another great, great album. The song title Hand of Doom. Just paints a picture. They they had some great lyrics and great, very visceral song titles. And on Paranoid, they they started they got their 
I mean, if you want to understand the writing process, it really got it down to where it would be Tony Iommi would come up with a riff, Osborne would start working on melodies to go along with the riff, and, uh, you know, Geezer would write the lyrics and try to provide a you know, driving bass line with uh, Bill Ward locking in with him. And so if you're wondering where Ozzy did come into play, he, he really did try to help them turn the heaviness into songs. And I could see that. I, I could. Ozzy Osbourne loves a good song. He's you've got classic radio hits from his solo career for decades. And uh, you could, there, I was gonna say like you can hear him improve as a vocalist too. The first album is great, and he's. I mean, technically, he's hitting all of his notes and everything, but and it might just be a production thing. But you, it's it's a little blathering. Like I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but it just sounds like. He's got his humps like cupped around his microphone and he's just yeah, he kind does of, look he looks like a blatherer. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah exactly. I don't mean that in a mean way. He just uh, but this one, it's a little tighter. He's like tightening up his, his skills a little bit. Um, and uh, I think one thing I like about this, too, is we're in the 70s now. And, you know, I don't want to paint with a broad brush, but rock music, popular rock music is going to a more kind of uh, stripped down approach. Um, and they don't use a lot of bells and whistles, but Tony Iommi and, and just the way the band plays together, they leave space for atmosphere. Um, and after kind of the psychedelia craze died, it would be a while before atmosphere would kind of find its way back and like Pink Floyd. And I'm sure they were, they were doing that still at this time, but, but I'm just saying Black Sabbath did not sacrifice anything for, for atmosphere. Paranoid album is just from top to bottom, uh, just a classic record. I mean, it's in the top, you know, 500 albums of all time. It really is. I mean, it's uh, it's amazing, like, how many uh, bands that we all love and fawn over were inspired by the fucking seismic shift of this goddamn record. It's great. Yeah, now, uh, even, if, even if you're not, like, a, even bands that aren't straight-up metal bands, I mean, almost every band's going to be influenced by Black Sabbath. But even if you're just, say, Nickelback or some nonsense, you still got Paranoid in your album collection. That's uh, it's ubiquitous. It's it's Led Zeppelin four uh, tier. It, it really is. Yeah, it's it's an amazing record. I mean, uh, War Pigs, which uh, Faith No More does an awesome live version on, like I think live at Brixton. Uh, Mike Patton does an amazing performance of that, um, and it's also on uh, the Real Thing too. So there's that. Um, but yeah, this is when I first heard this on my dad's vinyl like this is mr red republican had this in his record collection you know like i think it was able to cross every sort of uh political line and if you were of a certain age you have oh. this album in your fucking collection
starts spinning around. That is fantastic. I mean, if there's a fitting uh, epi- like a eulogy for Steve, he uh, he walked over to a neighbor's house to tell him how well he liked the same song he was playing, and uh, that was the end of Steven. No, I could de- and the reason I bring it up is because I could definitely tell that he was, uh, you know, uh, uh, very much more uh, on the, the, the on the right. And uh, the, the 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 next day, I'm sitting on my goddamn back porch, and I can hear across the neighborhood war pigs blasting from someone's house. <laughs> and but what do I know? It was him again. So <laughs> this is a master of reality released in 1971. Uh, now, Master of Reality, you could probably lump into the uh, classic, classic, super classic albums that follow it. And uh, it's just, it's, it's definitely the same band. They're starting to get, they start to get a little bit more creative. Um, they, it's, the album's heavy as all hell. And this is definitely, I think from the record start from here on forward, it's not all about being heavy. They'll throw in some little weird interludes, some different kind of instrumentation, acoustic song here and there. It's uh, they start their albums start to be more well-rounded. And uh, on this track, on this album, "Children of the Grave" is is a highlight into the void as well. And uh, they're just really big. They, they get a big sound. So it's, uh, it's good stuff. Uh, Master of Reality. It, it's hard not to just keep saying they kept releasing great albums, but they did. And yeah, they start, you're right, they start expanding out of just this kind of metal world. Um, but it still stays pretty pretty good, pretty heavy. Um, I liked uh, Lord of This World, I think is an example of, of Ozzy. And and I, I think I made the mistake of reading an interview with Tony Iommi first, where he basically explained, like, Ozzy sings along, I think I said this in the other episode, but Ozzy sings along with the riff. Um, and so, like, Ozzy just needs to like tune into whatever riff you're playing and then he mimics it with his voice, which I think, you know, works for, you know, definitely works for him. Um, but the, that particular song also, in addition to Ozzy really kind of coming to his own, you hear a fantastic bass line I mean, with a bass solo. That's, that's outrageous. Um, yeah, geezer really, yeah, he does some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, yeah. Into the void has got a nice sledgy blues riff. Um, yeah, Children of the Grave. Yeah, all the ones you said. So, yeah, anyways, that one I, I liked. Like, I'm still, like, enjoying myself all the way through on these. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's great stuff. And, uh, I mean, I think the lyrics are even getting better. I think Geezer Butler really is, like, he can really paint some pictures. Uh, the last track on that album has that line, Leave the earth to Sauron and his slaves. Leave them to their future in the grave. And uh, old Geezer was kind of a... He was, a, he was writing about environmentalism decades ago about how we were just uh, polluting ourselves to death. And I'm sure growing, growing up in Birmingham had uh, something to do with that. But this master of reality, uh, so Paranoid and arguably even their debut, Black Sabbath, uh, created the idea of heavy music, heavy rock. And this album, I think, introduces the idea of stoner metal. I, th- I think a lot of, you know, your Queens of the Stone Age, your Caius, uh, this is their, uh, this is their Bible. Master of Reality, you know, and it's not just because the title, the first track is Sweet Leaf, but I feel like this one also created a whole new genre of music. And I think even like one of the, uh, 
Stoner Rock guys, he was in a band called Master of Reality. Sounds about right. Probably. I mean, I, 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 I don't even want to get into cover versions tonight for the most part because there's just too like, again, much like how the uh, personnel and the tie-in bands could be an old podcast network. You could do a season of that podcast network on just bands covering Black Sabbath. Every song we mentioned tonight, at least five bands have covered it. But uh, to your point, Mark, yeah, like bands like Caius, uh, they definitely, the groovier aspects like you see on Master of Reality is uh, that the death of that influence uh, really hits a lot of those stoner metal type bands. So it's definitely a, a touchstone for them. And I think some of the, the more creative aspects of that record, too, are why it, it, it resonates with, with some of those bands. It's not just all about being heavy. you got to get a little weird, too. So that's those first three records. Uh, the title, the, the, the Black Sabbath, Paranoid, Master Reality. parts of the world there was a little elf named ronnie james dio and while black sabbath was doing their thing he was doing his thing and in, in many other other bands it would lead him to join uh, black sabbath dio's musical career b- began in 1957 he was actually in a series of doo-wop bands uh you know one of them was named ronnie and the red capes and uh, ronnie and the prophets such songs as an angel is missing and hearing hearing that style of music sung by uh, ronnie james dio is a, is a joy oh. yeah ronnie and the prophets became the electric elves and later it's, uh, just elf there is a great album cover it reminds me of uh your friend of the show mortis uh where he's in he's in elf makeup because he you know he's half elf just in general. So yeah, it worked. That, it that, worked, that yeah. album cover reminds me of that new yeah. Ozzy Osbourne video where there's some kind of uh, goblin in his bed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. That is the Mort- Mortise genre of elf or goblin. Yeah. But it looks like for the most part, and, and, and sounds like I bounced around a little bit. 
um, while his voice is certainly there, it's it's uh, it is like uh, definitely blues rock songs about honky tonk women and and such. It's um, you know it's not it's not my, my cup of tea. It's not nearly as metal as that cover would make you think, um, but you know Dio is on a trajectory, no doubt about it. Yeah, no Dio's on a trajectory up. He is singing a little bit more about honky tonks and not towers in the sky and the maidens that lie within them when uh, back in elf times. But, uh, you know, he left, they leave an impression on Richie Blackmore. And when Richie Blackmore leaves deep purple to form his own band called rainbow, he pilfers all of elf except for the guitar player. And they change their name to rainbow. And you've got Dio on the vocals for the first three rainbow records. I am a fan of these three records. I've celebrated these three records for years. You've got Richie Blackmore's Rainbow. You've got Rainbow Rising. And then you've got Long Live Rock and Roll. Rising's the one I said you should listen to the whole thing. Through. Yeah, at I the did. Very, at the very least, listen to Stargazer with the amazing drumming from Mr. Cozy Powell. No, the whole record from top to bottom was pretty strong. I mean, Stargazer, uh, I, I am surprised that it hasn't been used in some, you know, indie, you know, uh, film at some point. Maybe it has. I just, it's not been on my radar. But that song, man, it's fantastic fantastic i don't understand why it's uh, kind of an unsung thing i mean uh, Rainbow, among, among the metalheads especially the ones that aren't just all about you know thrash and death but that know their history stargazer has a it, it, it's up there no i i don't i i mean I, I i would imagine that it would be up there but it would be one of those ones that uh, i'm surprised it didn't sort of cross over you know that's the kind of uh strong songwriting that we see here you know yeah, yeah, Steve. Uh, uh, years ago, years ago, uh, I must have been, must have been when I was like in Tacoma or something. Uh, you, you demanded I listen to LA Connection, uh, which I did, and I love that song so much back then that it's never left a playlist of mine since. It's 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 a fantastic track, but I had not given in any album all the way through. So for this, I I did listen to. Uh, I did listen to the the Dio ones, and you know, a lot of it is meat and potato rock, which is not really my 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 my, my genre. It's very good. It's mathematically, objectively, very good meat and potato rock. But I am there for Dio on 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 most of the tracks because you know he is just so powerful and so uh, just lovably dorky that uh, he. He really, you know, he makes me connect to even the songs I, I wouldn't otherwise. Uh, but there are some of those songs that are all timers. LA Connection being one, and of course Stargazer, like Mark said. I, there's not much more to add to it. You've got a, you've got a full orchestra in there. Um, 
it's a epic, epic fantasy tale um, that you could, you know, certainly connect to the the uh, the strife of man, and uh, uh, and it's beautiful, and it takes you on a journey like the best metal songs do. This could have been perfect, but it had more fad than gadget on it. He didn't have his levels right. <laughs> uh, uh, exactly. I mean, that's uh, how I picture it. But, uh, you know, the Rainbow, I, I feel that Rainbow was a perfect fit for Dio's voice and his uh, medieval thing. He starts to be his thing, which becomes much of metal's thing. You know, Dungeon and Dragon shit. And uh, Richie Blackmore is into that stuff, too. And I think Richie Blackmore and Dio were a great pair. Uh, I'm sure Ego's had something to do with Dio leaving. But those three albums, I think they are all timers. I think everybody should give them a chance. I think you can listen to them back to back to back and have a really good Saturday afternoon. Um, Richie Blackmore's Rainbow. Uh, that's, that one's got, I believe, Man in the Silver Mountains, a classic track on that one. My favorite track off that one is called uh, Temple of the King. Temple of the King sounds like Renfair music. It's there's like a mandolin and stuff. Uh, and uh, the last track has a shit ton of cowbell. It's called uh, uh, When I'm Sad, I believe. It's a cover. And then Rainbow Rising, we already discussed quite a bit. You got you know, Stargazer's great. And the track after it, the closing track, is uh, great as well. And... Uh, I think it also has Terra Woman on it. Yeah, it has Terra Woman. And Terra Woman is another of, you know, Lady Evil and <laughs> many of Ronnie's songs where he's warning you of women. That's, uh, I don't know what happened to, you know, Ronnie had a couple of great marriages, but he's got some songs that tell you to look out for the ladies. It's an interesting trope of his. Um, and then I, I really do like Long Live Rock and Roll quite a bit, like Eric said. The song, LA Connection, I don't, I, at some point in my 20s, I heard it. A friend showed it to me and it's just it's just like it's unabashed 70s groove. Uh, it's just amazing. And then my wife and I have a tradition that we've only done uh, two times, <laughs> but we'll do it a third in September when we go to L.A. again. That when we drive over the grapevine, we always put L.A. Connection on. So, uh, yeah, a two time tradition with intents of a third. 
And Long Live Rock and Roll also has the song Kill the King on it, which is one that made its way into uh, subsequent Dio uh, bands, live acts, uh, live set lists. Kill the King is great. Kill the King is definitely some some fast proto metal for your thrash type stuff. It's great. Good stuff, that rainbow. But they, they split up. Rainbow was going more of a radio-friendly sound. Dio didn't like it. I, I've listened to some of the stuff after Dio, and I swear it sounds like ELO. Um, maybe Heather, uh, Eric's wife, is familiar with it, but I'm not. And Dio went and joined Black Sabbath. Listen to Volume 4. And I don't know if it's talking about Black Sabbath Volume 4. I'm not going to look it up on the internet. Because I don't want it to be broken. In my mind, though, that's what that sticker says. Or that's that's what it's for. Listen to Volume 4. The power of Black Sabbath Volume 4 is undeniable. One of the... Just a great, great record that... It's got... It's not just a great heavy metal record. It's got some, like... got Laguna Sunrise, some pretty stuff on it. Some of the heavier songs still have like a, a, a certain melody to them, like I can't believe, like a, a magic majesty to them, like something like Snowblind. Volume Volume Four. It's got wheels of confusion that that, that takes you on a just a journey, and it, like you know songs like Wheel of Confusion. It's got multiple movements, and it, there, there's parts of that song where every time I listen to it, I'm like, oh, yep, we're doing it. Here we go. Uh, it's really powerful music lies within volume four and then on top of that it's got changes which is a kind of a ballad that was so pretty that decades later charles bradley who's a kind of a soul singer he covered it himself and it's it's almost the same exact song but uh comes across and hits completely and that that song was first found on a a, volume four volume four had the types of songs on it that a soul singer could take and, and turn into something of their own in a minor hit decades later. Uh, volume 4 is just undeniable. I, I love it. It's also got Supernaut on it, which, uh, going back to Season 1, speaking of how there's too many Black Sabbath covers out there, our friends in uh, 1000 Homo DJs, Al Jorgensen and Trent Reznor, they covered it, and that's a... That was one of my earlier like uh, signals to me of the broader Black Sabbath catalog. Obviously, I listened to the really popular Black Sabbath stuff, but I, when I was a you know young teenager, I definitely da- just dived into Industrial and Supernaut. I was like, Supernaut, this is a great song. This is a Black Sabbath song. I can go back and check out the original. Uh, great stuff. Just uh, the, the album from top to bottom is, is magical. But it's too late now. 
point uh it is wild that in the writer's room we were kind of going back and forth whether or not led zeppelin or uh, black sabbath were the superior band and it's uh, really hard to tell by what metric that you're looking at but it is really nice to see one band led zeppelin obviously have a more iconic volume for um and it shouldn't really be that way i mean black sabbath were um not i mean they were running parallel uh, I, I'm not sure what the year disparity is like in terms of which volume four came before which volume four. I'm not going to look it up as I uh, monologue through this, but I do think that uh, Black Sabbath volume four is kind of an unsung classic record. Uh, I, I feel that, you know, when you look at Black Sabbath, you know, the true metalheads know, but in terms of how it crossed over to the mainstream, I think really only Paranoid did that. But uh, for those that really stayed with the band as they evolved and obviously changed into the Ronnie James Dio years and then beyond that, um, where it became more of a Tony uh, Iommi-centric band and everyone else kind of orbited around him, um, this one, like... uh, it, it is hard to really kind of when you look at other bands in this uh, type of time frame, being able to rip off this many really great records, consistently great records um, is uh, pretty amazing. I mean, I think their first eight, uh, maybe maybe six uh, are just stone cold classics, right? Parts of Led Zeppelin are greater than there's some yeah whereas i think black sabbath when you when i level out their song craft and just the consistency of uh, those early albums i just i don't know i, I tip it to black sabbath but i know there's personal taste going on there more but a, yeah. a, big, a big 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 part of this is that like led zeppelin you had all ringers like you can't have john bonham and jimmy page in a band and not have them just be considered like you know fucking amazing right so yeah. No, the one thing, um, it seemed like if you were kind of to break it down into a, like a meatballs metaphor, um, Black Sabbath were where Bill Murray was the counselor and Led Zeppelin was where the rich kids lived. <laughs> that's a good, yeah. right? that's a good metaphor. Yeah. yeah. But also I love Led Zeppelin, but I fucking do not put them on that often. Right. Led Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin, if they come on, I'll listen to them, but I'm not reaching for them, but I'd reach yeah. for Black Sabbath. Yeah. So I do like volume four quite a bit. Um, I know we're moving on. Um, I just wanted to say, cause it hadn't been brought up, but St. Vitus dance has a riff oh, yeah. riff that nobody, I mean, Jesus Christ. That's nobody saw that one coming. And, um, uh, sludge under the sun. He's got the great line about, I don't want no Jesus freak telling me what it's all about. Love it. Yes. I love it. Um, there was there was quite a bit of a anti Christo fascism yes going on yes, in Black Sabbath yes. land. <laughs> I, I, I definitely in the weeks coming every time this one came on my playlist I, I belted that part. Uh, and you're right, changes is a cool song. I feel like it's like a cool sad bastard song that like in, is very indicative of his like 
like Elton John alignment that would happen later on in, 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 in his career. Um, Can't forget Kelly saying it too. his daughter. Oh, oh, on yes. her on her uh, solo record. We her only forget. her only record that she put out. Yeah, I didn't I didn't listen to that one for this. This re-listen. They did a duet for for that one. Yeah. Ugh. Well, I didn't, I didn't I didn't listen either. Did you, Mark? <laughs> well, I mean, I haven't listened to it fresh, and but uh, it's 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 been listened to in in my experience of being on this earth. Yes, I've you know, heard the song. Eric, you bring a good point. I actually, that's one thing I do adore about Ozzy. He fucking, he, he'll play the sad bastard card all the time. Even if he's not writing those lyrics a lot, he sells it. Yeah. Um, and a lot of his, like a lot of his solo career is like every third song is a ballad about being regretful about something. Yeah. And I, I dig it. I don't mind that. Yeah. No, it's good. And, um, yeah, no, I, I really like this. Um, and like they're expanding their sound. They're, they're kind of, they've already maybe felt boxed in by heavy metals. So they want to keep some songs in that, but go to just, to just making some rock songs. And, um, there's still enough mystery and atmosphere to keep me intrigued. Um, so I'm, I'm liking it. I'm liking it. And I, and I like the next one even more. like delta bird um that sabbath bloody sabbath that might be my favorite uh, black sabbath album comes out in 1973 yeah my, my my favorite of the aussie ones at least uh you know it's it's they they tried to record it in la didn't work out too well so they go back to a castle in a place that i can't even pronounce back uh, across the pond and uh they, they thought they saw some ghosts in the castle and that that vibe really permeates throughout the record. Um, I mean, it's it, again, much like the last one, a little bit of Masters of Reality it has different approaches to song styles on it. It has some some flourishes where it's not just uh, guitar, bass, drums and Ozzy. There's uh, some different instrumentation going on. Um, some of the songs just have like they're long with like a lot of different movements. Uh, very, very adventurous album. Uh I mean, just, you know, Spiral Architect, Sabra Cadabra, uh, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, National Acrobat. Uh, you can't you can't beat some of the songs in this record. I mean, Rick Wakeman, friend of Eric, is even on that one. And uh, just uh, the Eric. Grand, yes, the, the, the synth wizard himself. <laughs> the synth wizard himself is, is on that one. He's on. I believe he's on Sabra Cadabra. He's on there somewhere. Yeah, the, the title track, there's there's multiple parts on that title track where I just cannot believe what I'm hearing.
riff towards the end where he then goes, you know, and then Sabbath blood is Sabbath. No, no, no. Heaven turns to hell. Like I, I can't believe what I'm hearing. It's ridiculous. Like I remember um, working at the record store and um, it was on a black Sabbath best of, but this song came on the Sabbath, bloody Sabbath. And like, literally I stopped what I was doing and just stood there in the middle of the aisle. And I was like, hold on a sec. Like it, it, it stopped me in my tracks. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's power. There's power to that. Yeah, uh, and, and uh, also I hope, Nash- I hope he does some jazzy stuff in that song too. He does a little jazzy, jazzy uh, guitar work in that, which is he, yeah. He, get, he can get yeah. a little bit of he can keep some 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 funky signatures, but also National Acrobat. Uh, that one, the the riff on that song, that was my uh, alarm clock for uh, at least a year. But, uh, just who are you? Has some like proto John Carpenter synth madness, which is fun to hear. Um. Yeah, no, I no. This one's this one's great. It's it's very eclectic. Maybe their most eclectic album yet. It's fun and it still has like that darkness to it, um, which is what I came for, and I'm I'm still happy. You know, who are you? Who are you? Has some kind of weirdness to it, and the two. I don't know. The Aussie albums we're going to talk about briefly that don't get a lot of love have a lot of that weirdness, and I think it starts off with songs like "Who Are You," and I love it. I think "Who Are You" is great. Sabbath Bloody Sabbath is definitely their best record. I mean, I think that if uh, you've got some lines drawn between the Dio years and the Aussie years, I mean, Tony Martin years are, uh, I'm sure, only the true, true deep, like where if you cut them, they're going to bleed Black Sabbath. Those are the only ones that are really going to actually put those albums in contention. But I think there is potentially a argument to be had around the Aussie years versus the Dio years. But man, I, I gotta say this is probably their best record. I mean, paranoid may be their most commercial record and seen as their most classic, but this one, man, it, even though like you may not have the songs as close to your heart, but when you listen to these whole thing, like as a one shot, it's an album oriented rock album. Yes. Yes. I, I really, these the sabotage Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, and Volume Four. Yeah, they are very easy to listen to as an album. Yes, uh, it, they're an ex- a good album experience. I agree. Yeah, I mean, you can plug out some singles, obviously from Paranoid, but the experience that you get here, and like what Steve said about what's to come next, I mean, they are on a fucking roll, you know. So, um, I think this is their best album, hands down. And I, I think it pairs well with the one that comes next, Sabotage, in 1975, the last great of the Ozzy Osbourne albums. this album has some of the same vibe as the two that precede it it has some weirdness it has some epic long songs 
Um, it might be a little bit more meat and potatoes in the last two, but not too much. It's not like all of a sudden they're just uh, back to the sound of the first record. Uh, I it just it pairs well with what came before it, and it still has those touches of weirdness, but also some some radio hits. I really am a big fan of the closing track called The Writ, which is dedicated to a manager that fucked them over, which uh, there's a there's a there's a top five episode there that we could do of songs about managers that fuck bands over. I, I love it whenever a band writes a song about a manager that fucked them over. I, I can't even name any more right now, but I know they exist. And I know I like them. I'm sure The Clash has uh, at least one of them, but uh yeah, the Ritz a great closing track, but it's also got such such awesome songs like uh, "Symptom of the Universe" and uh, you know "Super Czar," which is this weird one that has like a distorted choir, um, and just you know, "Symptom of the Universe" has that line: "The symptom of the universe is written in your eyes." I don't even know what that means, but it paints a picture, and I love it. And it's uh, got all these uh, drum fills from Bill Ward. And uh, sabotage is great. It's just got a touch of madness to it that I that I like. This one falls pretty. I mean, this is the one of the lower rated ones for me on this. Bizarre. Not that it's bad. Not that it's bad. Think, not that it's I think bad. It's great. But it's just uh, for me. I'm not saying it's bad at all. For me, it is more meat and potatoes. Uh, the atmosphere huh. is kind of gone. Uh, not in all the songs. Um, Hole in the Sky is a great song. It's got a huge riff. Ozzy, maybe the last time he's engaged, like fully engaged with Sabbath. And, um, but it's, it's definitely heading towards more seventies rock territory, less the kind of dark, dark. And I know, I know band's got to grow. I get it. I get it. But that's that, you know, I, I, I kind of need a little bit of that. Seventies rock doesn't, doesn't do it for me in itself. And, and it goes that way a little bit more. Um, it's not bad at all. It's still, all that being said, it's still like a B B minus album. Um, it's just uh, I've just been at my 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 socks have been knocked off from tr- from the f- their first album till till here, and this is the first one I'm kind of like okay that very good, going in a way in a direction that's that's not for me. The album cover alone, with uh, them standing in front of some giant mirror, and uh, they're all wearing 
looks like Technicolor Dreamcoats look drugged out of their minds again. Yeah, I mean, um, it looks like Mandy Patinkin from The Princess Bride <laughs> is on that cover a couple times. And they're thinking, let's expand the sound even further. Let's let's go as far as we can. And I, I do tip my hat to what they're trying to do. I, I really Weird, I, I think it's I think it's safer. I think they're going safer than their other than, than see, I don't, album. I mean, that's, as that's, I say, that's how Evil I Santana, I think that they're looking to expand their sound, but still hold true to who they are, but also try to like be a little bit more experimental. I mean, yeah, listen to this a super czar. That's the one that has got like a distorted electronic uh, Russian background co- like choir. I no, that's good. That's a good yeah. one. That's a good one. I just think I just for some reason overall I felt this one was uh was Yeah, it's also got it's got it's got a almost radio hit. It's got a song with the words radio in the title. Am I going insane? That is a great catchy song on that one. That sounds like it could be a Beatles song, which might be proving Eric's point. Old Ozzy was a huge Beatles fan. Huge. I mean, that was who his guys were, you know. And you can, yeah, you can hear that especially on his more recent super produced records. Though he's going for that just pop sensibilities, and that, there's a place for that. Yeah, yeah. And I guess they, yeah. you know, that's Technical Ecstasy, which comes out next year, 1976. Technical Ecstasy. It's got that album cover that's uh, dr- painted by the guy that painted that one Queen album cover with the, uh, you know, uh, uh, music yeah, of music the world the same, or news, no, of, the news world. of the world. Same yeah. guy. But yeah. in this case, it's like a couple of, uh, you know, it's like a square and a sphere going up an escalator. Well, one of them pisses on the other. It's a very interesting cover. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's great. It's a, actually, it's a better. I like the I like the album cover almost better than the album. Yeah, I, I don't have a problem with this album like other people do. I it is more rock and roll. I mean, Backstreet Kids, uh, Gypsy, Rock and Roll Doctor. I mean, yeah, it's just rock and roll doctor. <laughs> I mean, a rock and roll doctor. <laughs> is that like? It's like that's like a. It's I mean, like they, uh, <laughs> like in the in ER that well I'm not your average doctor and he pulls the sunglasses down I'm the rocker. yeah exactly he wears a leather jacket over yeah. his lab coat I, mean, I like right. I like to imagine that they they went on tour with Kiss and they you know the next morning one of them you know, grabbed a cocktail napkin that Gene Simmons scrawled rock and roll doctor on like, yeah that works <laughs> you know I, I like the, the the reason I love that album uh, <laughs> it, it 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 gets a little bit unfair love for me because of the song it's all right which Bill Ward sings on and it's a ballad, but Guns N' Roses covered it way, 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 way back in like 1991 on a tour. And it's been on some live albums where it's just Axl Rose on the piano covering that song. And, uh, just, you know, Axl and his, when he used to wear like a general's coat that era, I love it. Um, they covered that song. So it made me love that song. And then I, I give this album a little bit more love because of it. Told you once about your friends and neighbors They were always seeking But they'll never find it's alright It's alright Where to go Where to seek It's always Oh no! 
tight. They're not noodling. It, it seems like very, you know, very compact songs. Um, they sound good. Actually, in a way, the band sounds more like like what they'll do with Dio, where it's it's you know it like chugging. They're chugging a little bit more on this album, the next album. Ozzy is phoning it in a little bit more um, on this. I like all my notes are about the music that I like, not a little bit less about the about the vocals. Um, but you know they're not. I'm not. I'm not going to shit on either of these albums. They're completely fine songs on both of them. Just a real, uh, you know, real move towards a more clean cut, almost sterile, like uh, '70s rock sound. They, yeah, they both are '70s rock sound. While while you say they might be the sound they're moving to with Dio, well, the, no, the, t- the maybe the driving with Dio, but that's that's leagues away from the type of uh, no. They'll get heavier. Rock. Yes, they'll get heavier. Yeah. I just mean like yeah, like uh, less loose and 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 you know, more, I guess, determined. There's really actually not a lot of atmosphere in these two either, which uh, kind of detracts from them. I mean, I never say die. That one I struggle with. I don't listen to never say die often. Yeah. I could start to see the wheels coming off the wagon uh, for the Aussie years on these last two technical ecstasy and never say die. I mean, kind of looking briefly through uh, some of the history that they even had to replace temporarily uh, Ozzy with someone from the band Savoy Brown, Dave Walker, while they were on tour. So you could probably see the fact that like Ozzy was self-imploding. The band was really trying to struggle to figure out how to continue and still remain relevant during the, uh, what, late 70s? Yeah, 76 so uh obviously maybe they were uh really struggling to still find their identity as things were evolving around them people that were influencing them were almost lapping them um so yeah it's not my favorite i don't have really any uh like highlight songs on this but (laughs) i i do chuckle at the rock and roll doctor um you know, uh, 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 song title. I think that's oof. <laughs> We're starting to go down a different path, aren't we, boys? <laughs> right. I, but you know, what's funny is that that title would fit right at home in Ozzy's solo career. I, mean, I wouldn't it blink would. twice in a song. The, you know, Rod is he got a whole different vibe going on? <laughs> Completely. So, let's get over to that. So it's a scary. Here's what's great is that. These two bands, Ozzy, uh, Black Sabbath is a great band. They kick Ozzy out. They decide, they debate changing their name. They don't. Mark will never understand it, but I know why they didn't. You don't want to lose your brand. And I mean, there's still three fourths of the bland Black Sabbath. Why would they change their names? Because Ozzy. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But they. Audio Slave Rage Against Machine Online One. <laughs> uh, uh, that's a whole other podcast. Um, <laughs> To this day, I will never understand how Audio Slave is. You know, I like, like, I really like like five Audio Slave songs. I really do. Yeah. But they're still cheesy songs. Yeah. I can never understand how Audio Slave, like those two great tastes, taste bland at best. Oh my God. uh, Yeah. (laughs) It is wild. It's uh, like we're replacing the secret sauce in your ranch dressing to like cottage cheese. It's it's (laughs) wild. (laughs) Like, I I really like their cheesy radio songs. There's a few of them I really like, but I'm just like, there's there's i don't like them because chris maybe that's why i like them because chris cornell is singing them i they sound good to your ear 
but they're yeah. still cheesy shit. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Anyways, so but it's it's amazing what happens here. I mean, it's it was a, the breakup was better for all of us. Uh, I think Dio Sabbath, and many people do. Actually, everybody in this podcast, we agree. Some good music was made. They go on to have a whole other career without Ozzy. Ozzy has a solo career that defines rock and metal to an extent throughout the 80s and has a lasting influence until this day. Mr. Crowley, what went on in your head? like a godfather figure to heavy music and uh it's it's awesome and he puts out a couple of really good albums in the 80s and then you know dio gets to have his solo career after black sabbath and dio becomes his own thing for decades um but it's you know they they break up uh sharon osborne when she's still called sharon eaton introduces Iomi and Dio together, ironically enough, before she marries Ozzy. And he joins Black Sabbath, and they put out Heavy and Heaven and Hell. We talk about that quite a bit on the Heaven and Hell episode. Put out one other record I'd like to talk about for a moment. Uh, I think Mob Rules ends up being one of their strongest records. It's got some great songwriting. It's got the introduction of Vinnie Apice, or Vinnie Apice, who replaces Bill Ward. It's got some songs on it that have just a sense of atmosphere. Like the sign of the Southern Cross. Or also falling off the edge of the world. Um, a sense of urgency oh, on songs like songs Falling. Those two songs are so, so good. So yeah, good. a sense of urgency off songs like Falling Off the Edge of the World. And also Turn Up the Night. Um, falling Off the Edge of the World also. like Dio, what I like a lot about Dio's lyrics is he writes a lot of songs about vulnerability or like, you know, trying to look within yourself and like trying to break free of some kind of sadness you have or some like mental block. And, uh, I like that. I like that shit. A lot of the songs on mob rules just have like a, a like they soar have a lot of ri- rising action and dimensions to them. Um, the, the title track mob rules is another one that just, just driving song with just the, Awesome chorus, but then like the guitar solo is just like a galloping horse, just run, just racing into the night. Um, I think that the Mob Rules has some of Tony's best lead work on it. The drums are next level. Geezer's doing his thing. Pretty big fan of it.
chronological order, I, uh, you know, it was jarring at first to go from Never Say Die to Heaven and Hell. But as I got further along, and it wasn't until Dehumanizer that I saw the light. Um, and I had to walk through, you know, the dregs of Born Again. Um, but when I got to Mob Rules after uh, Heaven and Hell, I, I don't think I was ready for it. In the sense that I wasn't ready for just that uh, paradigm shift for this band. Where they turned into that loose stoner rock like gloom band into something more kind of tightly unified, more like in the lines of Judas priest, which I I'm on record of saying that I really did enjoy, uh, uh, what was it? Stained glass. And I even went into, uh, checked out painkiller, but that level of metal music, it, it does take me a while to get there where I'm talking about the big boob woman from heavy metal. That's how I tribute this type of, you know, metal. And um, looking back on it, there are certainly some great tracks like Signs of the Southern Cross. Um, and I think one of the songs on here actually was in that heavy metal movie, now that I think of it. It was Mob Rules. I think it was Mob Rules. Yeah. When you listen to fools, <laughs> mob rules. That's a fucking great lyric. Meanwhile, the John, John Candy robot is walking by a big boobed woman. <laughs> I can't, I can't tell you guys like, like I will say certain phrases and words. I already told you guys about like, look out. Like if somebody says, look out, I think of Ryan James Dio. And like, if I'm watching the news and I'm seeing shit like January 6th go on, like I think of the song mob rules. It's just the guy is always in my head. With some of his uh, his lyrical choices, um, the songs you listed, Steve, are the are the bangers for me. Um, I actually like. I, I it's funny. I am susceptible to a good album cover, and this one has a actually probably the one of the best Black Sabbath album covers. Just pretty so cool. gross. Uh, it looks like it looks like um, it looks like what I imagine Lud looks like from uh, the Dark Tower Book Three. Oh like yeah, yeah, yeah. Weird mass creatures in this dirty place. Yeah. And blood, Locks. blood on flesh signs. And yeah, it's, it's, but I, I like it. Um, I think this one has a great energy to it. I mean, listen, I think you, Steve, you indoctrinated me on, on Dio early on. Um, and I find him to be a force for good. Um, and so like once he showed up, I, uh, you know, I was, even though I, I faltered on the last two or three, uh, Aussie years albums, like, I mean, I'm, 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 back in the saddle i i'm loving i'm loving these yeah no hi uh yeah, heaven and hell and mob rules i think are very worthy you know ones in the black sabbath canon at times they're my favorites but they but, are a different but, sound. but like mark said something happens on dehumanizer that i can't wait to talk about i don't know if it's time for that yet but no it's not we'll get back okay, to okay. I have a, all right all right so what we'll do we're gonna take a quick break i appreciate uh, the time you put into this i'm gonna be editing it it's gonna be fun and that is part one of our traipsing around the world of Black Sabbath episode, where we discuss the other Black Sabbath albums that are not named Heaven and Hell, and a little bit of Dio's pre-Sabbath career and the start of Ozzy's career. Next week, we will talk more about Dio's solo career, Ozzy's solo career, and some of those weird Black Sabbath albums that had a host of other singers on them. In the meantime, thank you for letting us bring you closer to Oz.